previously on Box Cutters. Hello and welcome to Box Cutters episode 328. My name is Josh Canal. To my left, John Rich. Hello, listeners. To my right, Brett Cropley. Good evening, people of the future. You. <laughs> Box cutters. It's all about non sequiturs and television. If this is the first time you are joining us, television is what we're talking about. And uh, have we got a corker for you tonight? <laughs> it's uh, look, look. Do you like? Do you like the laughs? Love the laughs. Do you like the good times? Good times, best times. We've got a segment all about death. <laughs> but the other half of the show, though, that'll be pretty cheery, surely. It's about horror. Okay. So it's a horror and death special. <laughs> horror and death special. Now, when, when I say horror, I don't mean the Israeli dance. I mean things that will scare you. So, basically, we're having things that will scare you and then death. Think of it like... Uh, very depressing episode of Box Cutters. <laughs> and, also, uh, also, there's no news, so I can't do my regular. Let's kick things off with the. Can't do that. Uh, we'll have one thing. We'll have some pork. If if you're feeling a bit too close to the wind of of the direction that our Box Cutters episode here is going, uh, you might want to write this number down: one three double one one four. That's the lifeline number. Are you are you trying to make a joke no, out of I'm lifeline? Not. No, I'm, I'm seriously putting. Because that, that is tasteless. That is just tasteless. That <laughs> wasn't a joke. That's like that's the sort of thing that I would say. Tasteless. As always, though, we're going to kick things off with discussions of horror. Last year, FX brought audiences a riveting new vision. They didn't die in here or anything, did they? Yes, actually, both of them. That redefined a genre. <laughs> this October... It returns. How can you still be so blind? American Horror Story, this October on FX. We're a bit like a Halloween special. It's been fast-tracked by Channel 10. (laughs) (laughs) Horror shows. Mm. So I'm a big fan of horror. I've discussed this a a, a number of times on on the show. Love Supernatural. Uh, It's one of the reasons that I loved the first series of Supernatural, because it was horror on television, first time I'd seen horror to to that extent from a US show since American Gothic, which was just great, scary at the time, not as scary now, uh, but just a, a really... A, a really interesting look at uh, at how to how to make horror stories without being ridiculously gory. How could they make it gory but still be able to show it on primetime American television? Of course, Supernatural just didn't care about that and made it really gory, which is also part of the fun. Buffy had some horror elements to it, but wasn't really. It was more kind of horror themes rather than actual horror television. The vampires weren't that scary, really. They, they weren't that scary, and there were, you know, there were, there were little little bits that could be scary, but you always knew that the, the heroes were going were gonna to get out in the end. The ugly ones were always going to get staked before they got a chance to say anything, just as a as a, a scene opener. Buffy, yeah. Buffy just cleaning up, and yeah. 
And then, uh, and then in in uh, recent years, last year we saw uh, American Horror Story, and this year we're seeing shows like Six 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 Park Avenue. And there is definitely a trend now where people think, well, maybe we'll put horror on primetime television. Maybe that is something that will work. And I, I wanted to talk about why it's not working. And it's not working, I think, because of the constraints and people not knowing how to work within the constraints or people not loving the genre enough to understand what will and won't make it work. So the first series of American Horror Story was really a ghost story with some gruesome deaths in it uh the uh, what we've seen so far of 666 park avenue which has just one of the worst openings i've seen of a tv show in a very very long time also uh, all the characters are whiny and i don't care about any of them which is a large part of the problem with showing horror on 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 television one of the things that really makes horror on television work is empathy with the characters if the audience can empathize with the characters then that can actually uh, help them be afraid for the characters and, and subsequently afraid for themselves. That is one way to, to make people scared. Another way is to get them very comfortable and then, uh, and then twist their comfort in, in a way that just irks them, that makes, them, makes it seem unnatural. Uh, two really great things in, uh, in Supernatural. One was just the, the first episode when... Uh, when uh, the the mother of the protagonists uh, is sucked up onto a ceiling and then destroyed. That was terrifying at at the time, uh, and and that was just a well. It's a family. We're familiar with the family, and then someone in the family dies in a completely horrible and unexpected way that we haven't seen before. <sighs> That is one way to quickly show, uh, to quickly create empathy with the audience, and then destroy that empathy in a horrible fire pit on the ceiling. Another episode of Supernatural recently uh, showed a couple uh, who had met at a uh, at, at a club. Uh, they come home, they're getting pretty hot and horny, and and just get. get I've never sounded like straighter than when I just said that that phrase uh and, and they're, they're just they're in the kitchen and they're pretty much recreating uh you know that, that scene from uh from uh, uh fatal attraction uh which is less sexy uh, having seen it recently with the legs crossing no no that's basic instinct you're thinking of uh the the one where uh where she the, comes up out of the bath she they, they come home and uh and 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 they're screwing in the kitchen uh for some reason when i was younger i thought that was really really hot and now i watch it and just go that's awkward <laughs> uh Anyway, so but but they're doing that. They're they're pretty much just about to start screwing in the kitchen. But as they start, as they're getting more and more into it, they start eating each other alive. One of the most gruesome things I've ever seen on television. It worked as as horror because it was unexpected and it was and it was disgusting. But uh, but it was also 
uh, performed in, in, in a way that made you worry or made, made the, the viewer worried that uh, this was the sort of thing that could happen to anyone. Problem with American Horror Story in the first series was it was a bunch of bad people who were all going to die and it was just a ghost story. And ghost stories just aren't scary anymore. Uh, 666 Park Avenue is just about a guy who is the devil or might be the devil or could be the devil and he controls everything. And it's just, there there is gruesomeness without it actually being scary. Season two of American Horror Story, the first episode, gets it right. It's set in an asylum in the 60s. Jessica Lang is a crazy, controlling nurse who or matron who, who runs the... There is, there is so much fear in the second season of American Horror Story that uh, it really feels like they sat down and thought, well, what is going to get horror fans to enjoy this show? Well, how about if we make it scary? That's a good start. Please, Doctor, you must tell me what are these creatures... All in good time. You're a murderer! It is 1964, for God's sake, an exorcism. Times may have changed, Doctor, but the nature of evil has not. We have a problem. The little sapphic reporter. I have an excellent memory, yeah? We'll see about that. You're right. She is a noisy. You're mistaken. If you think that by making me an accomplice to this, I won't report what I've seen here. Do you ever dream of escaping? There is no way out. There's a big storm heading our way. This is our chance. And when it hits, half of you are going to be too afraid to move. Where do you think you're going? Rest up, dear. You're going under the knife in the morning. You'll need your strength. Some other bits of uh, horror on television. There was a series called Masters of Horror, which was... uh, uh, basically, a, a series where uh, they would get famous horror directors to direct an episode of of television. So John Carpenter would do one, Wes Craven would do one. Uh, didn't work because these were people who didn't work within the medium, didn't understand the nuances of the medium, and a lot of it was just uh, annoying. Uh, a lot of other things that were seen as horror, things like the Tales of the Crypt. TV series, Freddy's Nightmares, these things were more uh, Twilight Zone-y, uh, oh, things have gone a little bit weird. Uh, and when I say Twilight zone I mean more like the 80s Twilight Zone, because if you go back to the early Twilight Zone... Black and white ones. The, yeah. Mm. That stuff was scary. And that stuff is scary to this day. I have this theory, though, because you're talking about you know, uh, saying that Masters of Horror didn't work because they weren't using television properly. I actually kind of suspect that horror doesn't work on television for slightly different reasons, which is because horror lends itself really well to the cinema mm-hmm. because you're actually sitting in a darkened room for a start. You know, you're, you're already in a, in a place which is already uh, slightly spooky to a yep. degree. You're investing into this film. The film only has to last for 90 minutes. I think characters in horror films generally tend to be more archetypes. Mm-hmm. So you know 
what they represent, you know, the, the school kid or the, you know, and there's no need to wrap everything up at the end. I mean, the, you can kill everyone. You know, you don't have to keep anyone alive. You, you can destroy the world at the end of the film. There's all the stuff you can do. On television, you have a thing where it has to keep going. And the really good stuff we've seen recently is based on the idea of you uh, get deeper and deeper into these characters. And I think that possibly works against horror as a genre. I'm a huge zombie fan. Mm-hmm. I have recently just watched season one of The Walking Dead, which I thought was pretty bad. Like, I mm-hmm. thought it was a good idea for a show. But these characters are boring. They don't give us anything more about them. And it just kind of... And both with that and Dead Set, which was a really good zombie thing, but both of them did the same thing of each episode starts off exactly where the last one ended. It's just a film that happens to be, you know, six hours long. It's been sliced up in installments. It's not using television anyway. It's not developing... Each episode doesn't do something that the next episode doesn't... Like, it's a continuous narrative just running that's been randomly sliced up with cliffhangers. It's more like a serial from, you know, like a, like a 1940s kind of cinema serial. And but, it, but a boring one. And a boring one. And you get the true blood as well. And, and the interesting thing is the ones that, do it, that use television really well, things like the, the English being human, which was about exploring those characters, kind of weren't meant to be scary. Like, you know, yes, they're a werewolf and a vampire and whatever, but it was never meant to be about horror. It was actually meant to be about exploring character. So it almost feels like television lets you do one thing, but it doesn't really let you be scary. Whereas being scary is only going to work for, like, two episodes and won't let you do a TV series. Interestingly... Psychoville, which was a comedy, had some of the scariest moments on television that year. Um, I think League of Gentlemen actually also, even just just the tub, of, tubs and um, League of Gentlemen is terrifying. The Edwards. local shop, yes, who local ran shop, the local shop, yeah. th- which is deliberately uh, you know referring, referencing that sort of Wicker Man, that, that kind of Hammer Horror style. But there is a, a tension with those characters because you don't know who they are and what they will do, and they do terrify you. Sorry, love. Uh, are you open? Yes! Can I help you at all? You certainly can. I'm Mr. Wint. This is Mr. Kidd. <laughs> are you a local? Uh, no. We're conducting a survey on behalf of PQ Construction and we need to serve you with these papers. <laughs> it's uh, nothing to be concerned about. Just notification that we're building a new road in your area. No road! All you have to do is sign this and read the document. <laughs> is that a crown you wear? This is just my helmet. Helmet! <laughs> yes. Can I touch it? What's going on? What's all this shouting? We'll have no trouble here. They're strangers. Not local. He wears a crown and builds a new road. <sighs> Look, there's been a misunderstanding. Your wife is... Local. Overreacting. <laughs> we just need you to look at these proposals. That's all. Look here, we don't need a new road. This is a community. We don't bother the outside world. We don't want it bothering us. Sir, it'll be no bother, I promise you. Just sign this and you'll never hear from us again. Again, though, you can't do much with them beyond kind of putting people into the shop and letting them be creeped out and leaving. But, yeah, but they actually seem to have more of an idea of how you would make that work. Buffy the Vampire Slayer had at least one terrifying episode, you know, in Hush, uh, Uh which has the gentleman in it. Doctor Who has Blink. 
it's like you can do one-off episodes that are genuinely terrifying, but it just seems you can't sustain it for any length of time. Something that uh, Twin Peaks, and you know, I'll often go back to Twin Peaks because it was genius. Uh, Twin Peaks did horror really well because it was a light-hearted parody of soap opera to to the greatest extent. And then every now and then you would get this terrifying moment of uh, someone having a, a nightmare or, uh, for me, it was Ronette Pulaski's dream where she was waking up from the coma where she saw Bob in her dream. Uh, absolutely terrifying. Anything with Bob in it was just was just shocking. And the ending of Twin Peaks was one of the scariest endings of of a TV series I've ever seen. Uh, I think that worked because you weren't expecting it. soap opera because it does seem a lot of these either turn into or lend themselves or come out of soap opera it's like you've got dark shadows american horror story i think was more a soap than anything else true blood is very much a soap Mm -hmm. you know i think these are soaps pretending to be horror walking Walking dead is essentially a soap opera walking dead doesn't know what it is i mean and that's the i should mention the problem the reason i really love zombies and zombie films because you know romero kind of set this all up is because they always represent something that's the point there are there are a villain that comes for you to put subtext on. They're a framework for you to talk about something else. They're the Hello and Kitty of, uh, of horror. They're the Hello Kitty of horror. And The Walking Dead is one of the few examples I've seen, uh, of the stuff I've seen anyway, of a zombie thing that has no subtext. Like, it doesn't have anything to say. It really is just about some boring people not planning very well in a zombie apocalypse. You know, it's, and there is genuinely nothing else to it. And you're going, shouldn't you be trying to say something? Shouldn't you be trying to make some comment? Like, even from the title is the joke that that these people are the walking dead. It's not the zombies, it's these guys, or that, that humanity is worse than the zombies. But no, it's just some stuff happens randomly from episode to episode. Can I work at all of that? That's my question. I, I just I, don't know if you, can, if you can make 13 episodes of something that would be scary because you just get fatigued by episode I'm, four. I'm reserving judgment on, uh, on this current season of American Horror Story. Uh, the first episode was excellent. And, uh, and I love an asylum story. It's, it's one of my... Uh, one of my favourites is is asylum stories because they are terrifying. Mm-hmm. The things that uh, that that would happen to people who were who were mentally ill and and the people who looked after them and and how it seemed to be uh, a, a haven for the sadistic. That seems to work for me for uh, for for a horror film, and or, or for a horror story. Uh, it is interesting that the only things that have really worked as far as longevity goes are things like The Twilight Zone, where it was a different story every week. Mm-hmm. So so it can work if they are short films. Uh, can it sustain itself over a long series? Series one of Supernatural would say yes, but then, uh, but then after a while... 
that seemed to have tapered off. Now Supernatural isn't scary or it's, it's, it has turned into a soap opera. Uh, Twin Peaks worked because it was not often scary, but when it was scary, it was really scary. It also depends on how people watch their te- television. If you're watching it alone in a darkened room, well, yes. If, if, you're, if you're alone in the house and you're watching horror, it is always going to be more scary. There was one other thing I wanted to mention, but again, this is a one-off. And this is, this is my thing, is I think, because with, with horror, the idea is you descend into your own subconscious and terror, and then you get to come out at the end. And that's where TV, again, can't really work on that. I know, we, but we got, I, I know where you're going to go with this. Yeah. This is uh, uh, Lucy and Ethel working in the chocolate factory. That's the one. No, I was going to mention Ghostwatch which was uh, an English one-off special. In... Oh, which it pretended to be it pretended to be a real show. It pretended to be like a it was Look, a sort a of real show, Hall- sorry. Yeah, well it was like a Halloween special kind of idea. It was hosted by Michael Parkinson. It had people in it who in England were known from things like Blue Peter. It had Craig Charles in it as a <laughs> Oh, yeah, from, from Red, Dwarf, Red Dwarf as one of the presenters. And it was kind of like, oh, we're doing this spooky haunted house. Oh, it's a bit of a laugh. But, you know, we've got some experts in the studio. Then we do these live crosses. And as it goes on, creepier and creepier things start happening. And by the end, spoiler, uh, basically it ends with the studio just erupting into chaos and Michael Parkinson appearing to be possessed by some kind of demon. And that is the end of the, of the, you know, the piece. But it was, it, was an, it was an Orson Welles' War of the Worlds kind of thing. It was. And the funny thing is you watch it now and you go, well, clearly it's fake. Like it just feels so scripted and fake from the very beginning. And you find yourself going, oh, I can't believe anyone fell for this. Anyway, about halfway through, you realize you are genuinely unnerved. And one of the great things is that the, the horror character, the kind of, you know, Freddy of the piece, the... the the Jason, if you will, the the person who had lived in this house, they actually have that actor shows up, I think there's like nine times over the course of the thing, just in the background of shots, reflected in windows, inside cupboards when someone opens a door. There's just this hint of him all the time. And those moments are genuinely quite creepy when you when you think you've spotted him. And but again, it was a one-off, uh, and at the time, yeah, they got into a lot of trouble for it, and then claimed that no one was meant to be fooled, and everyone went, but clearly they were meant to be fooled. But, well, you're meant to be fooled sort of while not being fooled. Hello, and welcome to Bite Back, the programme in which you, the viewer, take the programme makers to task, and there are hundreds of you who want to do exactly that, following Halloween night, when the BBC pretended to investigate the supernatural in Ghostwatch. The switchboard was jammed with complaints, reports that children were terrified, pregnant women had gone into labour, and intelligent people felt duped. Conversely, many of the 11 million who watched it thought it was a brilliant piece of television. Well, what was it? A treat? or a dangerous trick. Viewers with me here in the studio will be having a spirited argument about that with the programme's producer, Ruth Baumgarten, and her boss, its executive producer, Richard Brooke. But first, you've heard of Crime Watch, Hospital Watch, Badger Watch. On Halloween night, it was Ghost Watch. It may seem laughable now that we know it was all a spoof, but on Saturday, October the 31st, thousands of people weren't so sure. It said it was live. It said it wanted to show us irrefutable proof that ghosts exist. And it gave us a telephone number to ring with our experiences of the paranormal. At one point, 20,000 people were trying to get through to the presenter, Michael Parkinson. The programme you're about to watch is a unique live investigation of the supernatural. It contains material which some viewers may find to be disturbing.
It, it reminds me of something you said to me recently, John, which is uh, in, in Australia a lot of uh, a, a lot of directors don't know how to make something look funny as as far as directing comedy on television. Uh, there is, you know, there, there are different lenses that you would use. There are different setups for, for the scenes that you would use. There are different angles that you would use to maximise the comedy potential. Mm-hmm. In the same way that I think a lot of television directors probably don't know how to make something look really scary. One of the reasons that you can have a, a show like Masters of Horror is that uh, is that these people make a living out of making things scary for the cinema. Unfortunately, television is completely different, and the the tricks of cinema don't work the same. And uh, it, it is it, it is one of those things that we will only get better at it if we keep trying. So one of the reasons that I'm I'm so impressed with the first episode of uh, of series two of American Horror Story because they got it so right. I don't know if they can sustain it over a series. I hope they can, uh, but then. How much of that story can be told before I start just going, come on, come on. It's the same asylum, it's the same people doing nasty things. How much can they get out of this, this one story? Be interesting to see. You're going weak, Alan Dale. The force is no longer with you. And the reason it's not with you, Alan, is because you're not on box cutters. Craig McLaughlin is. So, John, I hear there's something that you want to talk about. Yes, George. I thought it would be fun to talk about death. Death? Yeah, because everyone loves a bit of death. And no, because no, that's what makes people sad. Are you going to make people sad now? Oh, uh, column A, column B. Now, so, and what I wanted to talk about was uh, we did a, a piece in Acme about, about uh, when TV goes wrong and how narratives have to recover and how shows change and evolve. And as part of that, one of the segments we did was about when actors die, mm-hmm. uh, like when a show is currently airing and an actor is part of it and, and they die and what they, they do to, to try and keep the show on track. And I just thought that would be an interesting thing to talk about here because it seems that I found a certain uh, different approach that different countries take to this ah. because curiously this happens actually well, say fairly frequently but frequently enough in american television that there is actually like an american approach to what you do when your actor dies during your show mm-hmm. and then i was trying to work out what the other approach was say in australia or england and it doesn't seem to happen much at all but the approach is is quite different so i thought let's talk about death and play sad clips on on the show lovely now th- there was there was. Are you going to talk about this? The, the one time that uh, an actor died during the taping of a television. Well, show? I wasn't going to mention that. No, um, but it is. Yeah, there was actually Underground. I believe was the name of the production. I've forgotten what year it is. I'm going to say something like '62. Was it not English, the Julian Assange? Story. Not the Julian Assange story. It was. A, it was an English live teleplay, uh, which took place in an underground tunnel, and one of the actors actually had a heart attack and died, not on screen, but just off camera. And, of course, they had to keep going. Because it was live, live TV. It was live TV. And, basically, they were told to just improvise their way around the absence of a character, which, I uh, sadly, there are, there, are, there are no recordings of this. I would love to know exactly what that was like as a viewer, because, presumably, it would have been bewildering. 
but but that was yeah that was um the most immediate way to react to the death of an actor in your show is to just keep acting just keep acting <laughs> so must go on that that's pretty much not how they approach it now but it is interesting in somebody, america somebody didn't pick him up and do a weekend of bernie's <laughs> style so they'd be kicking themselves afterwards going why didn't we think of that weekend at bernie's if only that had been made in in 25 years time uh but one of the things i've noticed in american shows is that there's a way of when an actor dies the show becomes almost a default memorial service for the actor and this we see things like coach who died in cheers and there was actually an episode where a funeral is held and everyone comes comes back for it um in the west wing when john spencer blues explosion uh, died and they had to and, and often these come at the end of storylines involving people having like heart problems and stuff so it's always quite creepy when an actor dies of a real thing that they've been pretending to have for the last year and and again, in that, the storyline had to be massively changed to make it about the fact that Leo had died. And again, it becomes a sort of default memorial service. Which, which, is odd, which is odd for the West Wing, because the West Wing was very good at just writing a character out by never mentioning them ever again. Ever again, they would just vanish. Uh, and curiously, that's more the Australian and English approach. I'll get to that in one second, but what I wanted to do is, here's a clip from News Radio. It's actually two clips from News Radio from September 23rd, 1998. Now, Phil Hartman had been murdered in between the seasons. Uh, and again, this, they took the, the funeral approach. This was recorded was written and I believe recorded not long after he had died. It was still very, very raw for the actors. And particularly towards the end, you can hear that they're not acting this anymore. This is genuinely a a serious approach to say goodbye to Phil Hartman. Well, as far as memorial services go, I thought that was very nice. Yes, it was. Very nice. nice. The flowers sure were beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, very nice. Pretty. Oh, you know that arrangement they had of, of roses that was shaped like a broken heart? Yeah. Was that um, supposed to be because Bill died of a heart attack? Or? No, no, Matthew, that was me. I, I, I sat on it in the limo. Oh, <laughs> oh the irony of that. What a made Bill laugh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He would have been all, hey, look, it's a broken heart because I was sitting at home watching television, and I had a heart attack and died. <laughs> or something like that, you know. <laughs> Dave looked great. Yeah, he looked fabulous. Yeah, he's, he's, all, he's put a lot of work into that eulogy of his. Yeah, yeah. A lot nice of work. work. Yeah. yeah. Was it just me, or did Dave's eulogy really suck? Totally suck. <laughs> well, there, there, is a, there is another uh, uh, note, final note for all of us. Uh... Anywho, he <laughs> continues, that about wraps it up for me. Um, uh, farewell. Take care of each other, and I'll see you all when you get to wherever it is that I am now. That's it. Uh, Matthew, please collect these notes and burn them immediately. Hmm? Yeah. There you go. Oh, wait, wait, there's some fine print here. P.S. To liven up what I'm sure is an unnecessarily somber day, I have taken the liberty of treating these notes with a flammable agent which should... (laughs) Joe, my office is on fire. Come on in. So the American approach tends to be quite emotional. 
and I hadn't hadn't noticed hadn't noticed that, that <laughs> yeah was. yeah I was saying and and to an Australian taste possibly a little bit you know uh, mawkish or, or maudlin. It's funny that when you look at because I was looking for English, there's quite a few examples of this happening in America, and it suddenly occurred to me it's partly I think because American series are a lot longer. You know, the 22 episodes or or more Australian English series tend to be a lot shorter. So it's almost just statistically you're more likely, if you're working that many weeks of the year, to have this happen than in Australia if you're doing a short burst. And it was... Um, it was really, so here's another sitcom. It's an Australian sitcom. So from uh, Frontline, where Bruno Lawrence again died between seasons, he played uh, the producer Brian Tomo Thompson in the first series. So to take the, the, the different approach, the Americans gathered together for a memorial. Here's what we do in Australia. Jesus, it's even in the financial section. Anyone see the financial section? Growing concern over Network's plight. Did they mention us? Amongst the programs rumoured to be under scrutiny are the teen soapy Sunshine Cove, the infotainment show You and Your Family, and the ailing current affairs program Frontline. Ailing? Ailing, that's a bit rich, isn't it? I mean, ailing, that's... that's ailing. How long has he been up there? About two hours. Could be a good sign. If they're going to sack him, they'd do it pretty quickly. I reckon if they sack Brian, we should all resign. What do you reckon? Yeah. 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 Let's just see what happens first. Did you get the personal stuff off his computer? Frontline one, big family. Good morning, Mr Cavill. Um, Dom. Good morning, Mr Cavill. I come bringing glad tidings. The end office. No doubt you've all been hearing many, many rumours about Frontline over the past few months. Well, I'm pleased to announce Frontline will be continuing. With this network's complete support. Yes. (laughs) Obviously, we've had to make some adjustments. Brian? He was one of the adjustments. He says to say goodbye. Well, he's not coming down. Well, we both felt it was better if the whole thing was dealt with as quickly as possible. Frontline, one big family. Are there any extra files for this uh, computer? We'll just pop it down in the car. Frontline one, big family. I'm really going to miss him. Yeah, we all will. Hey, I know. Why don't we organise a dinner to say goodbye properly? It's not a bad idea. All right. What about Wednesday night? Um, Actually, Wednesday's not really good for me. Me either, actually. Well, Thursday then? Yeah. Actually, most of this week's kind of bad. Um, do we have to make a dinner? What about drinks? Yeah. Drinks are good. Martin, yeah. any word on Nicholas Martin? Um, foreign Affairs still haven't found a bomb. And that's it. That's the last right. time Brian's ever mentioned. Because <laughs> uh, the, there's also, uh, th- there was a case at the end of, uh, t- towards the end of uh, All Saints, where uh, a, an actor uh, committed suicide uh, just before the, the very end of the, the last season. Uh, and they did. They did a similar thing. They just did a similar of, uh, thing of he's gone off to look for his girlfriend, and he is never coming back. Well, that seems to be the Australian English thing: is the characters will just sort of disappear, or they won't be mentioned. Uh, Coronation Street did write Stan Ogden's death into the storyline again. It feels possibly because they had to. Like they were backed into a corner where the character had been there so frequently and had other connections. It was hard to really just get rid of him. But it was interesting looking through that there was a list of, of the deaths on Coronation Street and basically any actor who's died kind of tends to die discreetly off camera somewhere. It's only if you're an actor actually leaving you get a really brutal kind of on-screen exploration of your death. The rest is usually done quite discreetly. Uh, and for example um, in uh, Sarah Jane Adventures, the Doctor Who spin-off Elizabeth Sladen died halfway through the season. They basically just finished the f- 
the four episodes that were finished went to air. The other four that were partly filmed were just abandoned. So that's... Right. They'll pretty much not even finish them. They won't even try and find some way to, to finish them. They'll just go, no, that's, that's over. Which I thought was interesting. It seems quite dis- different and discreet approaches. Which is also completely different to... And I know this is, this is cinema, but uh, I, I believe... Uh, and I might be completely wrong with this. is a, a great opportunity for Brenner. Uh, that uh, Peter Sellers uh, died during the making of a Pink Panther film. And Blake Edwards uh, used the footage that they had of Peter Sellers and then did kind of a retrospective. It was almost like a clip show. Yeah, to, uh, to, make, for, a... to, to, to make a... To make a full film and then release to that film, which seems really weird. And Again, and though, it may be that the amount of money involved. So, you know, scrapping an episode of, of the Sarah Jane Adventures, which is half filmed, is perhaps doable in a way that if it had cost three times the amount of money, there might be more pressure on you to to salvage something from it. Uh, and, and yeah, and it's again, I was going to say also the other thing I had written down was the original Doctor Who. Uh, Roger Delgado played the master in, in the original John Pertwee stories. There was planned a big finale for his character to actually write him out of the series. Uh, the actor died in an accident. So again, the character just disappears and isn't mentioned for another 10 years you know, after that. Uh, which does mean that you have this quite major character in the series who just sort of leaves slightly randomly. But, again, it's, but, but it's then, more but tasteful then, in a way. But then doesn't he... Uh, but then he appears again as a, a, a an actor who looks very similar... But that's many years later. ...in that's the Peter Davidson... Yeah, there's, there's quite a gap before they ever touch on that character again. And when he reappears the first time, you don't know it's him until that's like a shock reveal. So... It's just interesting to, to see the different ways they approach this. I don't know necessarily which is better. Uh, I do have another clip, though, and this, I've got to say, I have a huge amount of respect for this. This is from Sesame Street, which was when uh, the actor who played Mr. Hooper died. That was Will Lee played Mr. Hooper, who was the, the grocery owner. Uh, he died, and they had the decision whether they were going to ignore it or say he'd moved to Queensland, which is, as we all know, a euphemism for death, uh, or whether they were going to directly address it, they consulted child psychologists who said they should be upfront and talk about it directly. And so in episode 1839, which aired on November 24th, 1983, they did talk about the death of Mr. Hooper. That's Thanksgiving, by the way. Happy Thanksgiving, kids! And they were told not to say he died because he was old, because... Uh, kids' parents are old. They, they were told not to say he was sick because parents get sick all the time. So in the end, they actually don't say why he died at all. It's never discussed in the show, but it is an amazing piece of television. It's also that kids get sick as well. Was, uh, was one yeah, of yeah. So in this clip, Big Bird's drawn pictures of all the Sesame Street uh, crew, and he's got one for Mr. Hooper and wants to basically give it to him. And let's listen to that now. Ta-da! Oh, oh look at that one. Really oh, nice. Can I see oh, that really nice. Oh, that, that's, that's really terrific. Really, 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 really looks, really looks like it. Yeah, sure. you captured him. Wow, that's that's beautiful, Big Bird. Wow, oh, thank really you. Really nice. Oh, thank you. Mm. Wonderful. Mm. Oh, well, I can't wait till he sees it. Mm. Say, where is he? I want to give it to him. I know. He's in the store. A big bird? Hmm? He's, he, he's, he's not in there. Oh. Then where is he? Hmm. 
Big Bird, uh, don't you remember we told you? Uh, Mr. Hooper died. He, he's dead. Oh, yeah. I remember. Well, I'll give it to him when he comes back. Big Bird, Mr. Hooper's not coming back. Why not? Big Bird, when, when people die, they don't come back. Ever? No, never. Why not? Well, Big Bird, they're dead. They, they can't come back. Well, she's gonna come back. Why, who's gonna take care of the store? And who's gonna make my birds eat milkshakes and, and tell me stories? Big Bird, uh, I'm gonna take care of the store. Mr. Hooper, he left it to me. And I'll make you your milkshakes and, and we'll all tell you stories and sure. we'll make sure you're okay. Well, it won't be the same. You're right, Big Bird. It's, it's, it'll never be the same around here without him. Mm. But you know something? We can all be very happy that we had a chance to be with him and, and to know him yeah. and to love him a lot when he was here. Yeah. And Big Bird, we still have our memories of him. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah, our memories. Right. My memories, that's how I drew this picture. Yeah, from memory. Good. Yeah. yeah. And, and we can remember him and remember him and remember him. Much as we want to. But I don't like it. It makes me sad. We all feel sad, Big Bird. He's never coming back? Never? No. Well, I don't understand. You know, everything was just fine. Why does it have to be this way? Give me one good reason. Big Bird. It has to be this way. Because. Just because? Just because. Oh. You know, I'm going to miss you, Mr. Looper. That's Hooper, Big Bird. Hooper. <laughs> right. I should mention. I, I mentioned too that that was on Thanksgiving uh, Day, which, which seems quite brutal. But it turns out that was again part of uh, a very carefully thought through part of the plan that um, Loretta Long, who played Susan, said in an interview, it was done on Thanksgiving holiday because there would be a lot of adults in the house to help the children. So they deliberately did a time when they knew kids could talk to adults. Um, it was later adapted into a book, I'll Miss You, Mr. Hooper, by episode writer Norman Stiles. And according to the Muppet Wiki, that episode of Sesame Street was brought to you by the letters J, M, and the number five. And I think it's great they didn't pull their sponsorship in light of the controversial subjects in that episode. Yeah, I got, I got, nothing, I got no jokes after that. It's just like we, uh, like, very much like the live show that, that we did, John. <laughs> 
where you, uh, you you threw that one out, and then it was like, hey, now entertain a bunch of people. <laughs> it's always important to make the Acme audience cry. That's yeah. What I think. yeah. Uh, th- thank you. That's uh, it's 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 very informative. Uh, I don't know that that episode of Sesame Street still still makes me really really sad. Uh, I, I wanted to bring up one more uh, one more death on American television. Mm-hmm. Uh, which wasn't actually the death of an actor, but the death of a character. Uh, it was on MASH when uh, Colonel Blake finished uh, finished his his tour and uh, and was going back home. And uh, it was it was a big deal for for the show because it was essentially a, a whole family uh, was MASH, and uh, Colonel Blake leaving was like the the funny dad leaving. So it was a huge problem for for, for the show. And uh, they're all uh, they're all uh, in surgery after he's left. They're in surgery. They're filming a a, a scene, and uh, I think the actors were told just to improvise it as if it was just a normal surgery scene. And they're doing that uh, completely unaware that Radar is about to walk in and announce that Colonel Blake has died. His plane having been shot down over the sea or crashing into the sea or, or something like that, uh, so that they got the actors' reactions to this news of of the father figure dying, which I thought was really uh, really interesting, wow. and I think something they couldn't have done if the actor had actually died. Mm. So good on him for uh, for stay, staying alive and making that scene really work. Brett Cropley, if you were going to watch Eight Things this week, what would it be? <laughs> Wouldn't be Eight Things, Josh Canal. Uh, it would be something that I've been uh, I've, I've been having pleasure with myself. I haven't mentioned it to you guys. Oh God, <laughs> <laughs> it's gone wrong already. It's, it's a, a horror episode. <laughs> Cropley's pleasuring himself. <laughs> it's it's a historical series called World Without End, which is about uh, the British monarchy from uh, from. Edward the second. Yes. I, Have you seen it? I got through three minutes of it. Really? Three three minutes of it, and I went costumes. Turned it up, and I've never gone back to it. I it's it's still there. It's I I intend to maybe watch it one day, but I I, I also think uh, Game of Thrones has ruined me for ye oldie costume. <laughs> <laughs> quite quite positive like there's the same sort of you know political intrigue and stuff that's going along in this show as there is in game of thrones game of thrones is uh less incest uh in in world without end um and game of thrones is in a made-up kingdom uh but yes there are very simple very definitely similarities beyond just the uh the costume drama of it the, the other thing is, I, I saw costumes. I saw the costumes and the title having the words "without end." <laughs> I mean, oh God! The days of our lives. Yeah. I cannot, I cannot watch something without end with that much costume. <laughs> but that's your one thing. So, it's, yeah, so you're gonna, yeah you're, I'm, I'm quite enjoying gonna, it. Oh, okay, okay, John, if you're going to watch one thing, well, having slagged it off before, oh, The Walking Dead does seem to be popular. I can't tell why from those first six episodes but i'm because our job is done and there's nothing left for us to do the world is doomed I, i'm kind of like i'm kind of hoping because i know apparently they fired everyone at the end of the the, the writing staff in the first series 
I thought I might try and watch the second series. I think now I might just skip forward to series three and see if I feel like it's got its act together. So that's what I'm hoping to do is to, to sit down and watch series three of The Walking Dead, or at least two or three episodes of, of season three to see if I feel this is something I should be committing to. You know, recently Frank Darabont uh, was signed to do a, a new series. Frank Darabont is the, the guy who started The Walking Dead uh, TV series and then was kicked off it uh, quite quickly. Uh I, I wonder if he did have a vision for it that uh, that was never executed. Well, I properly. did read that first series. It's six episodes long. They had originally planned it, I think, for twelve or thirteen. Is so only, is it only six it's episodes? Only six. Wow. The, the, the first episode, the pilot, is great. Like it's really well it done. Ends, and it ends on such a great cliffhanger. Yeah, and then it kind of just sort of wanders beyond that. And they did say that, that there was a bit they would have put off doing. The final episodes in the first series would have worked, I think, at the end of 22 episodes if you'd really learnt to love these characters. As it is, it's full of all these unearned moments of just going, well, I don't care about the person because I don't even know who that person is. I don't know the names of these characters. I mean, I mean I'm, I'm at the end of this series and I can't tell you what anyone's called. So, yeah, so I'm hoping by, episode, by series three they may have worked that out. If I was going to watch one thing this week, it would be the first three seasons of Thick of It. Uh, recently for my birthday, I, uh, I received, it took a while, it was in the mail. Uh, and so I only received them recently, the first three seasons of Thick of It. I can't wait to relive those episodes. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to uh, discover all over again what it was that I loved about uh, Amanda Iannucci's uh, writing and directing. And quite and amazing and breathtaking in, in uh, the, the Christmas special with uh, The Change of Leader. Yes. Amazing episode, that one. I, uh, I, I wonder, uh, I, I don't even, I hope this box set has it. It says the complete series. Even though there's three of those and there's a fourth one, but uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm I'm looking forward to immersing myself in that. The places you've strayed with Brenna Courtney Glazebrook. So, so Brenna, Brenna, I I have uh, I've got a correction about the the, the uh, death thing. Uh, it's Big Bird uh, draws all these pictures. Uh, why has no one ever mentioned that he's a bird with hands? <laughs> you can clearly see Big Bird has hands. He has digits. Yeah. That's a New York thing. Oh, is it? Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Have you been it's to, the pollution. <laughs> have, you, have, you, have you been to New York? Before? I have, yeah. Okay. And I hung out with a, a, a bird with three fingers and a, uh, a semi-fictional large mammoth-like beast. What? What? You're... Okay. Is it... There's a giant bird... <laughs> And you're, you've got beef about it having hands. Yeah, it's Brooklyn. the fact that it's about seven. It's a giant talking bird. Giant talking bird, but it's got hands, which is weird. That's just crazy talk. It's it's Brooklyn. I just assumed it was some kind of hipster thing. Uh, the, uh, the 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 other thing is, did did Carol Spinney? I, I want to know if Carol Spinney won uh, some kind of Emmy for that. I probably should have asked you earlier in the show, Brenna, to to look that up. I, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure he didn't, uh, but I, I think he probably should have. The, the acting, the big bit acting in that scene was uh, was was extraordinary. Sorry, Brenna, I, I'm I'm stealing your limelight. What? Uh, what are uh, the things that John got wrong in that segment? Um, oh, look, I just feel too emotional to even talk about it, really. <laughs> um, no, I look, I just had to correct underground. Uh, that all happened in 1958. So I was off by about three years or so. A little. That's yeah. okay. Hey, it's, it was within Don't, the realms. Hang on, hang on. You, you ride me so so <laughs> harshly in other... Uh, in in other places I've, I've strayed, and John John's off by three years. And you're like, oh no, that's fine. 
That's fine. Look, I don't want to say that I have favourites, <laughs> but John. I'm just saying the name John. <laughs> Favourite. And John in the same. Late number one. And, and tell us more about Underground. What well, was it? Underground was a science fiction television play. I don't know why I said it like it was a horror. Uh, presented as part of the British, an- the British anthology series Armchair Theatre, which was broadcast live by the ITV Commercial Network on the 30th of November in 1958. And it is chiefly remembered because an actor unexpectedly had a fatal heart attack oh, during that's what, transmission. That's exactly what John said. Yeah, but he got the... I got stuff wrong. But he got yeah, no, no, no. stuff slightly wrong. <laughs> oh, no, he got just, the year slightly wrong. But I forgive him. I, I just, can't stay mad at you, John. I just thought there was a coincidence that John was talking about a show called Underground where somebody died of a heart attack. And then you suddenly mentioned this Snap. show. Yeah, I know. Um, I, I did look up the uh, Peter Sellers in um, uh, The Pink Panther. It says Blake Edwards... Uh, tried to continue with Romance of the Pink Panther, uh, offered the role of Clouseau to Dudley Moore, who turned it down. Um, Edwards subsequently released Trial of the Pink Panther, which was composed entirely of deleted scenes from his past three Panther films, uh, which makes me think of the time um, when um, they had to piece together the films of... um, the footage from Radioactive Man in the episode of The Simpsons when everything went balls up in Springfield. Um, So it's nice to associate Peter Sellers with... Radioactive man, um, yeah. No, I I think you're pretty much spot on. There, I remember one particular television program, Suddenly Susan, back in the day, and they didn't. The, David I Strickland. Just, so I was going to say Brooke Shields. Brooke Shields. Brooke Shields didn't actually die. It was just her career. <laughs> Brett, where's my where's my rim shot? Where's my rim shot? <laughs> Come on. I love that the, the, the Brenna has this fake laugh. She does when you do jokes like that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't lose my job. Um, <laughs> he's my ride home. Sorry, sorry, go on, go on. So suddenly, Susan. Um, suddenly, Susan. David Strickland, uh, who was who played Todd Stites, he um, uh, he, he, he committed came, suicide. Yeah. yeah, and they they um, they did dedicate a um, an episode to him, but they but they made him a missing per- a missing person in the episode which i think is quite a homage to the truth i guess uh, and I, we didn't talk about even though this actor didn't die um his 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 character was wrapped up in a riddle, wrapped up in a mystery, wrapped up in an enigma. What happened to Joe Scully? Ah, oh, guys, how can we not touch on Joe Scully? To neighbours, to neighbours thing. Neighbors? Oh, That's, was that Mark Little? Look, there was Did Shane Connor who was sacked for. But he looked like Mark Little. Oh. Amphetamine addiction. Oh, I didn't know that. The other Scully stayed, didn't they? So yeah. Joe just left. Joe left, and the rest of the family. And they were, everyone was like, "Where's Joe?" And Lynn would always. Talk about Joe and uh, oh, it was a it was one of the great mysteries that I was never Lynn. solved, and it was never never resolved. It was never resolved. Mm-hmm. That brings us to the end of Box Cutters episode three hundred and twenty eight. I want to say thanks to everyone for enduring such a uh, serious and depressing episode of. Bo- oh, come on! Got lighthearted towards the end. Don't be so harsh on it, Brett. One three one 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 four. <laughs> if you need help, you make what it? if I need pizza? <laughs> what if you want mini skips? This is not a pizza recommendation I, I just, podcast. I just think it should be different numbers we can give out for different things people need. <laughs> Bean taxi one three double one eight. I think that's one. Or is that the complaint line for Australia Post? I was got it mixed up. <laughs> I've never had to go looking for the complaint line for Australia Post. I just he just, he just stands outside the post office and yells. <laughs> <laughs> 
Speaking of standing outside and yelling, if you want to get in touch with us individually, you can. Brett is at Bbox on Twitter. I am at Sealfur. John is Mycroft. It's John M. Richards. The M's for Mary Lou. John M. Richards. I can't tell you how much I'm enjoying the Frenchies that are at uh, re- replying me uh, because there's there's some nightclub in France uh, called Bee Box and people oh. are just assuming that that's uh, the the at name. Oh, for, I thought for that. you meant also, condoms. Also, there's a uh, there's a phone company that's Bee Box in France. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I'm getting lots of French uh, twits coming <laughs> at me. I'm also on app.net because I have $36. App.net. I don't even I, know what that is. I proved that I have $36 by buying a one-year subscription to app. It's like Twitter, but you get uh, you get more letters and there are less people. <laughs> wow, that sounds great. So uh, I'm Sealfer there there as well. Uh-huh. i got this thing called email where I can use as many letters as I want. Really? Yeah. Actually, Facebook broadcast. also does that. Until next week, my name is Josh Canal. I'm John Richards. And I continue to be Brett Cropley. Thanks for listening to Box Cutters. Catch us again next week, same bat time, same bat channel. And hey, let's be careful out there. Box Cutters is produced by Josh Canal with Brett Cropley and John Richards and help from Courtney Hocking and Dave Lawson. John Richards edited this episode. Peter Wilson from Soup Giant is the man behind making sure you can actually download stuff. He's good that way. We'd like to thank 3RRR, the greatest radio station in the world, for letting us use their studios to record this podcast. Find them on the web at rrr.org.au or 102.7 FM if you listen to radio the old-fashioned way. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can show your appreciation by leaving a positive review on iTunes or maybe just telling some friends what they're missing out on. You can also donate actual cash money to us by using the donate button at the top of our website. Donating helps keep the show alive and makes us smile. Our website is boxcutters.net and you can find all sorts of ways to contact us there. So, Brett, uh, ne- next week's our, uh, our end of season finale. Can't Michael's believe it's come so fast. I know. It's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> You'll you'll obviously uh, you'll obviously be here, John. Uh, John, you'll you'll be here for. Oh uh, no 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 no! I'm still in America. What what? What do you mean still in America? Well, you know, I'm in America now. I went, I went to America like two weeks ago or something. I'm I'm in I'm in San Francisco at the I, moment. I, and I, I'll be there next week as well. Josh Pokim, yeah. I reckon he's really here. No, I'm not, I'm not here. No, I'm pre-recorded. But I, no, I'm talking. I've been pre-recorded for the whole show. But I'm talking to you now. Yeah, yes, because you're pre-recorded too. What? You, you, you're all pre-recorded. No, it's just me. You're, you're all pre-recorded. It's Josh. You're all pre-recorded. And you know who else is pre-recorded? Hi, this is Pete Smith. You've been listening to, or have just missed, Box Cutters. Ah!